The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. If you own a vehicle with less than 200,000 miles and have an auto warranty about to expire or no warranty coverage at all, listen up. CarShield has a low-cost, month-to-month vehicle protection plan that covers more parts than ever. Visit carshield.com audio to find out how you could pay almost nothing for covered auto repairs. Drivers who activate this vehicle protection today will also receive free roadside assistance, free towing, and car rental options at no additional cost. Get your free quote today at carshield.com audio. That's carshield.com audio. For the ones who get it done, the most important part is the one you need now. And the best partner is the one who can deliver. That's why millions of maintenance and repair pros trust Granger, because we have professional-grade supplies for every industry, even hard-to-find products. And we have same-day pickup and next-day delivery on most orders. But most importantly, we have an unwavering commitment to help keep you up and running. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Society 13 Podcast Network. Redefining Podcasts. Do you like to listen? <coughs> oh, um, sorry. Sorry about that. Sometimes thinking about history and hauntings kind of just, you know, brings out the weird side in me. Anyway, I'm Emily Reitner, and I'm an executive producer of the History Goes Bump podcast, Ghost Tours for the Theater of the Mind. If you'd like to join me as an executive producer and hear more history and haunts every month, go to the support the show tab at historygoesbump.com. Now, where did I put that Ouija board? Oh no. Oh no. I should have just listened to Denise and not tempted anything. the story of the world and of our lives. Sometimes that history goes bump in the night. Broadcasting from the center of oddity and the supernatural in central Florida, it's the History Goes Bump podcast. spectacular people welcome to this 227th episode of the history ghost bomb podcast ghost tours for the theater of the mind i am your host diane and this is denise on this episode we are going to be joined again by paranormal investigator tim shaw we're going to be talking about the history and the hauntings of a very creepy location hinsdale house 
stories of exorcisms and all kinds of weird creatures and strange paranormal happenings at this place. It is a fascinating thing to look at. Before we get into that, we want to welcome to the Spooktacular crew, Greg. Hey, Greg. Melissa. Hi, Melissa. Jennifer. Hey, Jennifer. Cameron with a K. Hi, Cameron with a K. Wonder Pup. Hello, Wonder Pup. Andrea. Hey, Andrea. Heidi. Hi, Heidi. Laura. Hello, Laura. Michelle. Hi, Michelle. Stina. Hey, Stina. Amy. Hello, Amy. 4K. Hello, 4K. Peter. Hi, Peter. Lori with an IE. Hey, Lori with an IE. Eric. Hi, Eric. Nicholas. Hey, Nicholas. Tana. Hi, Tana. Pam. Hi, Pam. Marlon. Hello, Marlon. Lisa. Hey, Lisa. And Hayden. Hello, Hayden. I believe Lisa works with you at the Polynesian Resort. Is that right, Denise? That is correct. And now, this moment in oddity. The moment nodity was suggested by listener Angie Taft. The University of Colorado in Boulder has some scientists who think they have cracked the secret behind the Bermuda Triangle. The culprit behind all of the mysterious disappearances over the decades could be these atmospheric disturbances called air bombs. The meteorologists were studying satellite weather images and noticed these unusual hexagonal clouds in them. Clouds don't usually form straight edges, which is what caught their attention. These clouds in the Bermuda Triangle are an exception to that rule. It is thought that these clouds are the air bombs, which are deadly blasts of air that can easily exceed 170 miles per hour. These winds can generate waves of more than 45 feet in height. This would go along with theories that rogue waves might be causing boats to disappear in this region. Is it possible that these winds are breaking up boats and planes so thoroughly that nothing is left behind? And for people who think that the Bermuda Triangle is a thing of the past and no longer relevant, the last disappearance was just in 2015 when the cargo ship El Faro disappeared. More research needs to be done on air bombs, but it's a fascinating theory and certainly is odd. And now, This Month in History. In the month of October, on the 4th in 1970, singer Janis Joplin is found dead. Joplin was born in 1943 in Port Arthur, Texas. She loved music and enjoyed singing and joined the band Big Brother and The Holding Company in 1966. Joplin was wild with a very distinctive and raw voice. She brought attention to the group and got them a recording contract. Their first big hit was Peace of My Heart, and while the band and Joplin were rising to the top of rock stardom, Joplin was falling heavily into drugs and alcohol. Her drug-fueled performances mesmerized fans, but her bandmates were not pleased. Soon, Big Brother and Joplin parted ways. She continued with her success as a solo act. Her most popular songs were Down on Me, Ball and Chain, Summertime, Me and Bobby McGee, Mercedes Benz, and Peace of My Heart. 
the road manager for the band she was recording with before her death, went to the Landmark Hotel to see why she hadn't shown up at the studio, and he found her dead on the floor in her hotel room. She had overdosed on a potent hit of heroin. Even though she passed away at the age of 27, she is still one of the top-selling musicians in the United States, with 15.5 million albums sold in the USA. A rather nondescript and falling apart farmhouse in Hinsdale, New York, has been described as one of the most haunted places in the state. The house has a mysterious history and unexplained paranormal activity that eventually led to an exorcism being performed. Many families have tried to live in the house, but not many have stayed. The experiences of one of those families, the Dandies, was featured on a 2006 episode of A Haunting. Paranormal investigator and co-host of the Curiosity Radio Show, Tim Shaw, joins us again to talk about this creepy location. And as Tim's going to share, he was actually featured on the Paranormal Lockdown episode that featured Hinsdale House. So he's been there quite a bit. We're going to talk a little bit about the Dandy family in this interview, and we wanted to share a little bit about them before we get into that. Clara and Phil Dandy moved into the farmhouse with their children in 1973. They stayed for a little over a year, and in that time they experienced some crazy paranormal activity, if they are to be believed. Initially, the sounds that they heard didn't bother them. They figured it was an older farmhouse that was just settling. As activity started to ramp up, they thought that perhaps their imaginations were a little overactive. Then they started seeing full-bodied apparitions that included our infamous Lady in White. Stranger still are the claims by the family that they saw bizarre animal-human hybrids. The haunting then turned violent with objects levitating and throwing themselves. On one occasion, a lamp threw itself at one of the dandy's daughters. And one of the more frightening stories the family would go on to tell was of a night when they noticed a group of strange faces staring into their windows. However, when Mr. Dandy ran outside to chase away the trespassers, the faces reversed and were then peering back at him from inside of the house. They eventually called the Catholic Diocese, and Father Alphonsus, a priest from St. Bonaventure University, came to the house to perform an exorcism. A paranormal investigation group joined him, and all the witnesses claimed that the paranormal activity was the strongest that it had ever been during the exorcism. When it didn't work, he returned again and performed another cleansing. None of the exorcisms eradicated whatever spirits were haunting the place, and the dandies finally gave up on their dream home. A 2006 episode of A Haunting on the Discovery Channel featured the Dandy's experiences with the Hinsdale House. Tim, we are so excited to have you joining us again, especially to talk about what I think is one of the creepiest locations out there, at least according to what I've seen on some of the television programs, the Hinsdale House. Guys, I was just out there uh, last week. Was it last week? I can't remember even my weekends. I think it was, yeah, it was last weekend. We got... The creepiest thing that I have ever had out there. One of our meters, it was a, like a team thing, you know, who can get good evidence and all that. My EDI meter froze. The temperature uh, uh, meter on it froze. And then usually it's like, it'll say 72.1, 72.6, and it'll, it'll pop up and down. This thing froze at 66.6 for almost a minute. Oh, <laughs> oh no. my gosh. Oh, I would have been running. We had a quarter. 
uh, set up right next to it, and the recorder actually moved about three inches. So it was interesting. I got on the walkie and said, is there anything else going on right now? And everybody's going, well, we're getting this, we're getting that. I said, well, whatever's going on, it's like concentrated right in this room again. So... <laughs> Well, I know that you were featured on the Paranormal Lockdown episode that they did the Hinsdale House on. I think this was in their first season. Is that correct? Right. As a matter of fact, that was the very first episode that they filmed. They kept it towards the end because it it got a little intensive. So uh, I warned them. They didn't listen, but I warned them. (laughs) To me, it just looks like when you're looking at the outside of it, it's kind of a nondescript farmhouse that looks like maybe it should be torn down because it's fallen apart and just hasn't been loved in a long time. And the fact that it is supposedly one of the more haunted locations there in New York. Is Hinsdale, is this a large city? Is it more of a farming community? What's it like? It's a uh, farming community in the southern tier of New York State, which is down in the southern part, southwest part of New York State near Pennsylvania. It's it, The area is not so active, which is something that surprised me when I started doing all the extra research into it. But uh, there, there's a large college out there, St. Bonaventure University, where the demonologist priest actually taught at and lived. He's had some exploits up there. He has he was famous for doing like unsanctioned exorcisms and a lot of a lot of things of that nature. I would say it's highly active. It's just that it has to be in you know at the right place at the right time and it has to have the right uh, uh, atmosphere conditions. And but it's it's a neat place. And I it was funny because I was doing a, a paracon a couple of years ago way up in uh, Sault Ste. Marie, Michigan, and I read when I first met Nick Groff. And of course, I embarrassed myself by saying, you know, Nick, I like you. I like what you do. I did some research on you, but the rest of the crew on Ghost Adventures, not so much. <laughs> he just started, he just laughed. And I you know, and we were all sitting there, and and, and I kind of told him about. It. And he says, pass it on to my pass it on to my cousin, who's his assistant, and I did. And uh, one of their uh, PAs called me up one day and asked if I had any information, in which I had buku information that I got out of the archives and what I've got out of newspapers and stuff. And I mean, I still even have an article from when I was a kid cut out about it in a scrapbook that I kept. They were like, wow, okay. And I had known Katrina for a while. And I guess they all kind of sat down and talked and they said, well, we're really interested in this because it's the land that is haunted. And that's why they decided to come out. So that was a lot of fun. So I know that it seems like most of the hauntings seem to be talked about when Clara and Phil Dandy moved in there. Was there, obviously, if the land is haunted, were people experiencing something in the house before that then? We're not sure before because I went and I pulled. I've got everything copied out of the Father Alphonsus Trebolt's archive. Every piece of paper, his teaching notes, everything that isn't uh, uh, sealed by the diocese or uh, Vatican I found one letter from uh, the McMahon family to Jim Curran, who was the late Jim, Jim Curran, who was a reporter. They said, this is terrible. You're, you're besmirching me. Tell them to shut up. You know, nothing ever happened when we, were, when we were up there. The more we started looking, we have we have no paper trail on this. But I was told by someone that there had been a priest that had gone up there and done a deliverance on the house in the early or mid-1900s. I've accessed Buffalo Diocese people and and their archives, and there's nothing in there. Of course, there wouldn't be, probably, but you never know. And uh, we don't know how far back this goes, but I can tell you that just uh, just about everybody that's lived in that house, I've interviewed like five people that lived in that house, bought the house, and every single one of them had something going on, whether it was strong or it was mild, but they all experienced stuff. It's an interesting place. 
And because it's been so intense, is that why they think that it's not the house? It's probably what it was built on that is causing a lot I, of this activity? Yeah, there was a couple uh, dowsers from the gen- the old Genesee Dowsing Society. Okay. Genesee Valley mm-hmm. Dowsing Society went out there and found two two negative ley lines that crossed underneath the house. And, uh, we're, you know, whenever you're working with negative stuff, you automatically go and start looking for the battery, what's powering it. So if you can find the battery, most likely you can lessen it or you can dispose of it. We don't know. I mean, there's underground water and the geology up there. It's pretty crazy. Of course, everybody says it's a Native American burial ground. And if you look <laughs> at Native Western New York, everything's a Native American burial ground. <laughs> I have never heard of negative ley lines before. I've just always heard ley lines called ley lines. So that's interesting to me. What makes a ley line negative? Negative ley lines are just naturally uh, occurring uh, uh, lines, energy lines that uh, when crossed uh, can really, really get nasty. I mean, they're just naturally occurring, Uh, just like positive. There's positive and negative lines. Uh, We don't know why or how. Most of the like sacred sites are always built on positive lines, but uh, this one... There's two of them directly under the house. And then there's all sorts of conjecture about the history and everything about the house where people may have been killed and stuffed around. You know, they, you know, they had Alex Tannis up there, who was a pretty famous psychic at the time. And he said something and he described them killing people and stuffing them in these crawl spaces. And, and, you know, a lot of it is implausible because, I mean, I've I've worked with the deceased at hospitals and I know about bodily fluids and all that. And that would have just leaked through the roof, leaked through the ceiling. Then there's a buck tooth redhead girl that dances at the end of the pond you know like swirls and there's there's a lot of conjecture and there's a lot of stuff that has been lied about it over the years and a lot of people have claimed to possess these photographs and i have yet to find anybody that has actually they everybody says they saw it but i can't i've never seen that proof yet all all i can tell you is, is the stuff that i saw when i went up there in 2011 that was when it was still abandoned two years after the uh the last owners that actually lived in the house they passed away all i'm going to tell you is i hadn't seen anything like that in 30 years so you know it was it was it was pretty interesting well some of the stuff that the dandies were describing is not only did we have our typical full-bodied apparitions but they said that there were these animal human hybrids that they were seeing were these ghost-like or were these like cryptid type creatures When I was interviewing Clara, Clara Dandy, now she's Clara Miller, she told me that uh, uh, something of that nature chased after her daughter, Beth, and chased her into one of these, through the, into the house and into the utility room. And she told me her eyes changed. And I believe they were green, but I'm not sure. But they changed to blue. And I actually asked eye surgeon about that. And he told me in times of extreme duress, that type of, you know, that color eye might change. He goes, yeah, and they usually change back, he said, but it takes a little while. But it's usually something that when, when somebody incurs a, a huge shock to their system, there's so much up there, plus UFOs and, and huge orbs out in the field. There's a ghost house that Clara saw in the, in, in the field across the way, and uh, every so often it would appear uh, at night. And you could see the win- you know, you could see the lit windows and stuff. So, you know, there, there's so much to that house. And I, I don't think Clara is one to uh, exaggerate a lot of it. And there's too many people that have can correlate most of the stories that she wrote about in her books. So that's why I, it was just something that was amazing to me. And I've been researching it ever since. And this is a sucker house. You, you know, it'll give you exactly what you want when you go there. Thoughts are things, things are vibrations. It can probably read through intent. It can read what you're thinking and it's happy to give it to you. Well, the thing that makes Clara seem a little bit more believable to me is that 
to me, it seems like they wanted to stay in the house, and that's why they were putting up a battle for it, having Father Alphonsus come in and do an exorcism. Did he just do one type of cleansing there, or did he come multiple times? He was there multiple times, multiple times. He was the best friend that they ever had. And Clara always says that he was there just like he seemed like he knew when when activity would, would kind of amp up. He had done a mass on, in the kitchen, which he was hoping that would kind of lessen the activity and, and, and give Clara a little bit of a peace of mind. And it just and anybody that does negative cases knows that, that when you introduce any kind of a ritual, Sometimes stuff amps up, and that's, I believe, that really was the case there. Things really started to get out of control. You know, he felt that it was one of the girls that it was causing it, the poltergeist-like activities. But uh, she said to me that most of the time when things were bad, like during the summer or weekends, the girls were back in Buffalo, New York, uh, at the grandparents' house. At the time, in the 1970s, that was that was the common thought. And now looking at it through more modern eyes, uh, you can see that there's something definitely more going on up there. There really is. Well, yeah. And I mean, it's one thing to have, when you hear about poltergeist activity, maybe it picks up something and kind of throws it across the room. But one of the daughters had a lamp thrown at her. And you wouldn't think that they'd be like, oh, in my mind, I'm going to lift something and have it throw at me. You know, well, generally, they're not attacking themselves. In human targeted poltergeist, that's common. There's two different types of poltergeist activities, non-human targeted and human targeted poltergeist activity. And usually in the human targeted poltergeist activity, that is something that is created by the person. And sometimes things will be thrown or whatever, you know, center around that person where non-human poltergeist or targeted poltergeist activity will produce poltergeist-like activity, almost the same. I mean, discarnate voices and, and movement and all sorts of craziness like that. And in Father Alphonse's archives, I mean, you see letters from Clara to him over the years after they had moved. And they talk about her being in a, in a psychiatric rehab or a, a facility. Uh, she had been a cutter. And there was there was a myriad of, of things. And she eventually committed suicide, unfortunately. Hmm. So there's a lot to it. I mean, and the, the person I saw at the bottom, I, I saw somebody at the bottom of the stairs when we were there in 2011 and it was a girl and it was amazing because she was there for like 10, 12 seconds. I even blinked my eyes in the middle and she was still there. And I went, got, you know, I wrote Clara and Clara didn't respond for a couple of weeks. And I thought, Oh, I offended her or whatever. And she says, you gave me a start. It seems like that's my daughter, Laura. Really, you've described that her at that time. And then when I did some other digging and I started interviewing other witnesses, they all said the same thing. She always said if anything ever happened to her, she always wanted to come back to the house. Is yeah. she there? I don't know. But all I can tell you is the girl that I saw at the bottom of the stairs in November without a coat on, and we're all wearing Gore-Tex, she was there, and she was as real as, as you or I. In Puerto Rico, we call ourselves Boricua. We are proud, passionate, and full of life. On our island, adventure finds you. Strangers aren't strangers for long. The size of the audience doesn't change the beauty of the music. And we celebrate every last ray of sun. Live Boricua. The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. 
Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at hashtagrenew.com. With some of her, her challenges, what are your feelings on that? Do you think she had those things like the cutting, the psychiatric issues, and then maybe did conjure or get the poltergeist activity going? Or do you think it's the opposite that because of that caused her to kind of have a little bit of a break and then start doing the other behaviors? You know, in, in, in my experience and those of, I've worked with a, a bishop with the Western Rite Catholic Church who is an exorcist, and I've, and I've interviewed so many people over the years. From what I know of it, usually it centers around someone who has some kind of a mental imbalance uh, to begin with. And the only reason why I, uh, I say this is because it seems that when she was there, it was at its height. Now, people after they left that have moved into the house, I've interviewed, they've had experiences, they've had other things going on, except it was never as bad as that time period when they were there. And they, they fought for that house because they wanted it in the worst way. They wanted that house in the country in the worst way. And it turned into a, it really did turn into a nightmare. And then when the newspaper got a hold of it, it was even worse because it's a dead end street and the house is on a dead end and at the very end of it. And they were sitting there blocking the driveway with guns some nights because the, the, the gawkers would come up and the gawkers are still going up there today because uh, every time I've been up there, uh, I've seen one, two cars a night and after a parent normal lockdown was premiered that episode uh, it it got worse now it's it's kind of leveled off but just the other day we saw like four people come up four cars go up that dead end road turn around and leave how many times have you been to the house I can't. I, I can't count. I'm going to be honest with you. It's you got to watch the house because the house is one of those houses that can fascinate you. A lot of these, a lot of haunted locations that that are, have high energy seem to draw you back. Try to draw you back. And this is something that I warned Nick Groff and Katrina Weedman about. The location itself will almost get into your skin. I mean, it it it, it you you just you kind of crave to go up there, and it gives you what you want. It gives you a little bit of a thrill. It gives you the EVPs you want. It gives you something. And like when I go up there, I'm at peace. I'm pretty, I'm very much at peace. Uh, I don't, I don't really have a problem with the house. I mean, I've been there at all times of the day, overnight and stuff. And, and I don't really have a problem with it, but I think it's one of those locations. And I would say it's a sucker house. It keeps bringing you back. It keeps bringing you back. I know investigators that have been so affected by the house. It was like they've gone back 50 times, 60 times. And that's, that's a conservative estimate. I know people that uh, uh, have tried to buy the house uh, they were on the list to buy the house. Just gets to that point where they all they want to do is stay at that house. And I asked uh, John Zaffis about it, and he says it's all in the vibration. It's where it almost the house becomes a parasitical entity, and it gives you what you want. And in return, it like hits those, you know, it, it must trigger dopamine in your brain or something because it, you just keep wanting to go back. For me to go back there, I go back there twice a year, three times a year. Uh, Dan Kless is a friend of mine who actually bought the house now. And, uh, you know, I'll help him out with, you know, some events or if somebody rents the house and they, they want somebody to kind of give them a, the 50 cent tour and, and talk about it to their team, I'll, I'll go up there. It took me a little while uh, because I was like, I just want to keep going back. And Nick, uh, <laughs> Nick Groff, man, he, he got affected hardcore. And he, he even says it's just something about that house that just want to go back out of all the locations he's gone. So when we were up there in 2011, first thing out of the, right out of the gate, my friend Joe and I went up there. And again, they were going to, they were going to go and they were going to bulldoze this place, bulldoze it right to the, right to the ground. So I, I'm a big thing about, I have this thing about preserving, at least in photographs and video of these, these locations that, that are no longer here. So I, I got permission. We went up there. We're photographing it. We're going through the whole thing. The house was in 
terrible disrepair. And I went and uh, uh, we were, I was unloading some uh, gear and I heard a little girl say either Anna or Mama. Swear to God. Is that clear? And I'm looking around. I don't see anybody. It must be an acoustic echo. It must be coming from the other side of the hill or whatever. And uh, my friend Joe later on, when he went out to get part, some of his gear, he got the same thing. So it almost is like it mirrors the the dandy uh, experience because everything happened. Everything started on the outside and then it gradually went in. And it was uh, we we were in the uh, the son uh, their son Michael's room, which is right off the kitchen. And the place is small. It's really a small place. They had a show. I think it was hauntings or whatever. And they showed this big, beautiful house and it's not even close to something like that. And uh, we had photographed the whole room, all four corners from floor. They had it up, you know, from the ceiling. We went out, we're doing something. We came back and there was a white silk flower in the middle of the, of the, of, of the room. Oh, and that was, yeah, that was, that was kind of a, that was kind of a peak moment there. Uh, I've seen some video, some uh, full spectrum video that shows a girl laying on the couch and, something bobbing and weaving around there's some kind of a form it's real common and then we like when the paranormal uh lockdown crew was up there so they're walking down you know nick and katrina are walking down so i'm i'm in the house my whole gig was to uh talk to them and tell them a little bit about the house and, and as i'm standing there i looked up into the living room because i'm up by the, the door in the kitchen i saw a shadow person like just block out the window and this was during the day just walked across and i went Will you leave, will you keep this keep that for the TV show already? And I'm laughing. And one of the guys came running. And he goes, "Hey Tim, you know you're still mic'd." <laughs> so they got the, you know, it's like, oops. But yeah, you know, it's uh, it's 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 just one of those places. It's it's a crazy place. And I can tell you, when it's hopping, it's hot. It's it's an amazing place. And when it's not, it's just you know, little things will happen or EVPs will happen friend of mine joe went back there joe's one of those guys that really investigated the house hardcore he he's got one of he's got an older recorder that uh, uh doesn't have the filters on them they, they they weren't real popular because you know they got like all sorts of interference and stuff on them so they said they discontinued making them but he's got one and the evps that come through it's like die 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 why don't you just die and come to me on my uh, uh i i mic'd up the living room where the deliverance took place father travol cleared the house with that deliverance, they call it an exorcism, but that exorcisms are for people. Deliverances are for houses. I mean, I got all sorts of underlying chatter, but I've got I got something repeating my questions, and I kept getting get out, and uh, I forget the other one. I, I never I've never gotten sworn at there where other people have gotten the, like the most foulest language in the world. One of the most chilling things about that house is I was watching the episode from Paranormal Lockdown when it came out. And obviously Nick gets picked on a lot when he goes to these places, but there he seemed legitimately terrified. It's the most terrified I've ever think I've seen him. And that he, it was just like, maybe I need to get out of here. But then it was a few episodes later, they were at a different location. I can't recall where, but on the EVP, I think they were, maybe it was a ghost box or something that they were working with. And right. it was actually, they were getting a message from the Hinsdale house calling nick to come back or something like that and i went oh my god that's yeah, weird geo box. They, they, they're using a geo box and um the geo box actually said and I, dan's got one they're an expensive piece of custom-made equipment the geo box actually said where's nick yeah and they have right. where's nick and you're like really and so does this denote intelligence? Yeah, to me, it kind of denotes some kind of intelligence or uh, it's not like residual. We're picking up everything. Another thing that's funny and this could, there, there is a, there could be a scientific reason for it, but there was no power to the house and a, a K2's pickup EMF, but you have to have power 
to the location to get an EMF spike. And I think there was like eight of us up there one time and, and we're using the K2 meters and all of them went off full, full bore. All of them went off at once and did that for about two, three minutes. The next thing I, you know, and now the scientific thing that somebody told me was, yeah, cell towers can do that. These things can bounce and, you know, sometimes these energy waves can hit and all that. And I, you know, I don't know. I mean, I just don't know. All I can say is that it was unusual. It was interesting. And I had never seen it before in any location I've ever been at. And I've been out in the woods and I've been, uh, uh, you know, in cities and villages and stuff. So I don't know. These are these are things that happen up there. The last occupants of the house, Joe and Florence Misnick, or at least the ones before your friend bought it, did they die in the house or did they? No, no, they died in the hospital. Uh, Joe okay. passed away first. And then now uh, uh, Flo had always been in poor health. And uh, it was funny because a lot of people don't see this, but when you walk into the living room, there is a part of the paneling, this old paneling that's up there, that's all wore out. And people don't realize that that is where Flo used to have her chair. And she would rock in that chair and roll around on it, you know, so it wore the, the paneling. And when the dowsers went up there, I always remember one of the old timers telling me that when they went up there, that the two negative ley lines actually passed directly underneath that chair. And when they moved the chair, Flo's health came. Now, she had, again, she had always been ill towards the end, but actually she wasn't as sick. So could that be, could that be the, uh, the, basically the, uh, the battery? I've, I've worked with some of the dowsers. I've, I've uh, seen how people go and, and can move waterway, water traces underneath the ground, how these guys do this work and how they pick this stuff up. I'm going to tell you what, to me that, to me, I think it's the land itself. That piece of land has got something natural that we don't understand. Just it's there. I think that's what's powering everything. The problem is, is that when people go there during the summer or winter, uh, they're not really getting a lot. But I believe that naturally occurring static electricity will go and increase phenomena. Now, we've got a lot of static electricity up here in western New York. It's the fall. Of, it's getting to be the fall of the year. So, of course, that's probably what's going on. But, eh, you know, you don't know. But I, all I can say is Fort Niagara, a lot of the other little locations around this area, everything peaks between September and November, and then it stops it, or it decreases. And then April, like, yeah, I would say mid-April going through the end of May. And that's when the two peaks are in, in this area. And I've always gotten my most unbelievable EVPs uh, and audio work at that time, or even phenomena for that matter. Interesting. The house is open for paranormal investigators to come in and do investigations. And this is kind of the way that they're financing to restore it and get it back up and running again. Because he wants to turn it into a museum. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. I, I give Dan a lot of credit because when I went in, when I was up there again in 2011, the front door had been kicked in. Somebody had gotten into this crawl space, which has a lot of lore to it. It had, you know, they they found like the bricks around the chimney had been disassembled and, and placed into a chip into a pyramid at the end of this crawl space. Somebody went into the crawl space and actually had fallen through the roof, uh, ceiling in the kitchen, and one of the walls in the basement is really in bad shape. Dan has turned around and, and he's put a new roof on the place and it's it, it's a constant battle to uh, keep it painted and, and keep the bees out of the walls. Uh, so I give him so much credit for it. I, you know, we had all thought about, a lot of us had thought about purchasing it. I myself thought about purchasing it, but then the only thing I could have done with it was 
really board up the windows and just keep it status quo where Dan is really going out there and, and really putting a lot of heart and soul in there. And he's, he's selling the house. And I really don't think he draws a salary from it because right now he's uh, working to replace the septic system, which is about $13,000. And I think he's really, uh, he's really trying his best. And I think he's, I told him early on, so I've known him for a couple of years. And I said, out of all the people I know that have been associated modern, you know, of late, uh, the different uh, leases and, and people, who had held them or tried to pay the mortgage on it and then they reverted back to the original family uh, that owned it, he would be the only one that could make a go out of it. And he has. So I give him a lot of kudos for that. Well, we want to wish you a very happy Halloween and uh, enjoy your October. I know you're probably going to need a break after you get done with it. <laughs> oh, I'm booked heavy right up until the uh, first weekend of November. I'll be in Chicago at the Ghost Con. I'll be up at Middletown, Virginia at the Wayside Inn speaking with uh, Rob Demarest. And uh, I'll be back in Gettysburg the first weekend in November. I have a class I'm teaching on seance. I'll be speaking at Edinburgh, Pennsylvania University. I'm speaking up at uh, Niagara, NCCC, Niagara uh, County Community College. There, I don't even know how many other places I'm booked. It's fun. And uh, I look forward to everything. Actually, my wife and I and uh, our chocolate Labrador Winifred are going to Gettysburg in a couple weeks. And uh, we're going to be doing a little bit of exploring down there. I have a couple of people that I, I need to interview. I have some really neat places that I want to go and explore. Burial areas, slit trenches where the, the bodies are still present to this day. I want to talk to some people about renting an, an apartment, a vacant apartment for a couple of days to uh, investigate it. It was well, it's an apartment and a storefront downstairs that was built in the late 1790s. It was a hospital in 1863, and there was a, a domestic murder that took place in 1985, and the, the realty company that owns it can't rent it. We're trying to go and rent that for maybe two to three days, total immersion, stay at the place, sleep at the place. I'm looking at doing one full night of modern methodology of, of paranormal investigation, and then we're, I'm looking at doing one full night of old school. We're talking seance. We're we're talking uh, Ouija board. We're talking every avenue of the old ways to establish communication. I get excited. Can you tell I get excited about that stuff? <laughs> Just a little. All right, Tim, have a good one. Take care and thank you very much. Have a wonderful evening, girls. Okay, right. you too. So it was really interesting, everything that Tim told us there, especially the experiences that he and other members that have been there investigating have experienced. We love to get that one-on-one, -on -one, hands-on kind of stuff from people. Absolutely. It makes it just so much more real and so much more interesting. This place is just so crazy. There's a man named Paul Kenyon who's an author, and he had befriended the family and became a caretaker at the house after they left. He documents the dandy story and his own experiences in a book he published in 2009 called You Know They're Here. He returned to the house as he was writing the book, and the current owners at that time said they had some activity, but nothing like what the dandies described. He writes in the book about a phenomenon we had never heard of before, ground lights. Here's what he wrote. One puzzling new development, very puzzling for myself, which has been experienced by many, is that of strange ground lights that appear. They are extremely bright and either fade out slowly or are gone in the blink of an eye. The lights mainly appear on the ground with no apparent source and are totally baffling. We experienced one recently only 15 feet from us at the edge of the road. Two of us ran directly toward it as it began to fade out. There was absolutely no source whatsoever for this strange light and we stood in the exact spot it had appeared. Ooh, that, it, that is weird because at first you would think if they were seeing them in a field that might be some meteorite or something that was glowing, but since they ran right to the spot and there was nothing, that is kind of bizarre. 
Yeah, we've heard so much about these ghost lights on these different roads, Denise, or in forests where people have seen ghost lights. But light just appearing on the ground as if I'm imagining, you know, when you put your flashlight beam on the ground, it's like they're seeing that and then they go and stand where it is and it's not there anymore. And they have no idea what's causing it to be there. What I find interesting, and as we were discussing there with Tim, is how the dandies, it seemed like everything was really ramped up when they were there. So it really seemed to feed off of their family. And you have to wonder if it is because they had the teenage girls. It could be that, the extra energy that was just bringing things in, or maybe whatever it was had attached to the dandies a little bit. Yeah, it's just very weird. Kenyon also goes on to talk about connections to the land that could be causing the haunting. There is a hanging tree on the property from which a woman was hanged. He also claims 1,100 Indians were murdered on the premises long ago and that a shaman burial site is located just above the Hinsdale house. A stagecoach way station also used to be near the hanging tree and it toppled over in 2007. An innkeeper murdered people there. The last people to physically live in the Hinsdale house were Joe and Florence Misnick, They left the house when they both passed away, which they did just a few months apart from each other. And you heard Tim mentioning them. They didn't seem to have any experiences. This maybe backs up the idea that it is the land and not the house that's haunted. And that's what I find interesting. I'm not exactly sure where Kenyon got all this information that he did, but it it helps to flesh some of this out because Tim was talking about how there's these negative ley lines there. Denise, this is one of those things where we, it's like the chicken and the egg. It's like where the negative ley lines there. And so they cause the bad things to happen. Or is it the bad things that happen there that cause the ley lines to become negative? That's a good, good point. You don't really know. It's always hard to figure out which came first. And we don't know the details. Why was this woman hanged? Tim kind of joked about how they'll talk about Indian burial ground. We've done this with other episodes that we've done where it's like, oh, everybody says Native American burial grounds everywhere. But it does seem like even if this wasn't a burial ground, some kind of skirmish happened here. Right. And just and then you've got this innkeeper. I couldn't find any newspaper articles that would back up that he murdered all these people or whatever. But it it seems there has to be something connected to the land because I just don't understand why this farmhouse where nothing seems to have happened at this farmhouse that we can find. Why would it have this crazy stuff going on where you got to call in a priest to do more than one exorcism? Well, and with the faces and the way things were just kind of appearing and turning around, I almost wonder the time slip thing or maybe even aliens instead of like ghosts or hauntings too. It's interesting that you said that because I don't know if we kept this in the interview, but Tim did mention that there are some UFO sightings there. So it's interesting that you did say that because maybe there's something else other than spirit type stuff going on here. Few paranormal investigators have entered Hinsdale House without having some kind of experience. Is it possible that something connected to the land has taken up residence in the home? Is Hinsdale House haunted? That is for you to decide. Very good. Another one of those creepy locations as we work our way towards Halloween. We'd love to have you guys check out our website at historygoesbump.com. And Denise, if people want to send us some feedback, where can they do that? They can do that at historygoesbump at gmail.com. We did get an email from Kira. New to your podcast, but I absolutely love to listen while at work. Not too creepy and jam-packed with lots of fun. Great job, ladies. Well, thank you. And Carrie sent us an email. I agree. Cemeteries are sometimes a good places to go, like the one where my grandfather and favorite aunt are at. 
It has a great view of the ocean, and the lower part, it is on a hill, is from the 1800s. Also, the county sometimes does historical things there about people who are at the cemetery. But the only bad thing now is that they turned the old church in front to a concert hall and kind of ruined the look of it. I wonder if the spirits will get mad and haunt it. And I said, well, I guess it depends upon what kind of music they're playing in the music hall. (laughs) EG sent us an email. I've been listening to your History Goes Bump podcast for about two months now. It has helped me through some very lonely times because when I listen, I feel like I'm hearing a long, caring voicemail from a long lost friend. It's funny because when I was growing up, I hated history class. It was the only C I constantly got in school. My mom always told me to think of history as a story, but my teachers weren't storytellers. Now, thanks to the H2 channel, I'm interested in history. I no longer want or have cable, so I turned to podcasts for the first time, and after listening to HGB, I can't get enough haunted history. You've given me a new purpose in life as I travel alone for work. I must explore each location with an added twist, a twisted mind. Actually, I've always been intrigued by the possibility of ghosts. I recently developed a new appreciation for cemeteries. The Nightmare Before Christmas has been my favorite movie since it came out. Ah, good choice. But now I know there's a name for what I am. Not freak, or maybe that too, but taphophile. I'm honored to be a member of the Spectacular Crew and have realized I'm not the only one. I'm not just a weirdo anymore. Thank you. Thank you for giving so much of your time and talent to this amazing podcast. Thank you for being the gentle friends who tell me stories that make me smile when I'm sad. Thank you for teaching me so much odd and haunted history. Thank you for giving me conversation starters. Thank you for developing a community of kind, welcoming people who gladly step up and share experiences, thoughts, and recommendations. Thank you for being you because you both rock. And I have to say, reading the tail end of that, our spectacular crew rocks too. Yes, they do. And you know what's really cool is Denise works with Lisa, who just joined us in the Spooktacular crew, and her daughter turned 11 on Friday the 13th. And the kids were giving her a lot of grief about being born on Friday the 13th and having her birthday on Friday the 13th. And so Denise said, well, I'm going to take this to the Spooktacular crew because they think that's a pretty cool date. And how many responses did you say when you last At one point, I think it was like 83. And it just totally, I mean, the crew is so amazing. Not that I doubted they would be or else I wouldn't have asked them to kind of step in, but to be able to turn this little girl's day around. And it was just amazing because they were telling her how cool they were jealous of her birthday. And her mom posted that it, Lisa posted that it really made her happy and she was excited. And she was even wearing a little dual ghost barrette for the day. So I thought that was super fun. That was great. Speaking of birthdays, I had mine on October 14th. I want to thank everybody for all of the birthday wishes that you sent my direction. Denise, I'm on the backside of the 40s. I'm heading towards 50. You know, we could do a cadence march. I don't know, but I've been told someone here is getting old. Yeah, we don't need to do that. Sound off. One, (laughs) two. (laughs) Stop, Denise. (laughs) And we also got an email from Connie. I am so stoked to hear your mom talk about Forest Lawn. I grew up nearby, and as a single mom, I used to take my son there to explore all of the displays. He loved it and never knew he was being educated, lol. There were, of course, massive stained glass windows, paintings, and even a suit of armor. That was his favorite. I always enjoyed the beauty and serenity of that cemetery, but since I moved about two hours away, I haven't been there. That was since 2005, when my friends and I went to play some Disneyland items at Walt's grave. Hope you guys get to visit. I love the Cemetery Podcast. I love doing them too. We have some reviews to share from Apple Podcasts. The first is from Tag98999. Excellent listening for History Buffs, five stars. 
History and Paranormal, two of my favorite things, combined in a single extremely well-edited podcast hosted by two charming people. It's clear the team does a ton of research for every episode, and the result is an informative and fun listen that is the perfect length. The regular This Day in History and Moment of Oddity features are added fun, giving you something interesting, even if you're already familiar with the main topic. I highly recommend this podcast to Fordians. Start listening. I know because I love Fordian stuff. Start listening with a few recent episodes before going back. Do not start at the beginning because the first handful of episodes had sound problems. Once you know you love them, the sound problems don't seem as bad and you can listen to those first few, but get to know the ladies first. One of my favorite things about the podcast is how cleanly edited it is. I listened to a few podcasts that I really wish would take lessons from these gals on how to cut down on dead air and pointless comments. They leave just enough joking in the final product to make it great, but not so much that you want to roll your eyes and say, get on with it like some other podcasts. A note about pronunciation. Yeah, they mess up. So does everyone else who talks about a place they've never visited. They will, however, always correct themselves and apologize if someone points it out. So let them know, but be nice. They put a lot of work into this podcast and it shows. Thanks for the great listening. Well, thank you, Teg. I really appreciate that, especially the stuff about the editing, because I don't know if people know how many hours it takes to edit an episode, but it is hours and hours and hours. And yeah, I could leave the ums and the breaths and the everything else that can get annoying to most people, but I hate that stuff. So I'm like, I got to get it out of there. She spends a lot of time doing that. Then we heard from Barb in Minnesota. History goes bump five stars. I've been binge listening to this wonderful podcast and stumbling across it a few weeks ago. I absolutely love the stories. Keep up the awesome work, ladies. Thank you, Barb. And finally, History Liker. Very good five stars. Very good podcast. Simple and wonderful. Thank you. We want to thank you guys for tuning into this episode. I've been your host, Diane. And this has been Denise. You take care now. Bye-bye. This episode has been brought to you by our executive producers. We'd like to welcome new executive producers, Lil from Knock Once for Yes, Andrew Eastwood, and Barb Keel. Thanks. Sweet dreams. 